0: Okay, so Golda, please read for us then, verse 5 to verse 7. Our okay. text.
1: For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and in Achaia
0: we believe thank you so much right so we've been saying that in this first chapter our aim has been to investigate some of the foundational elements right that Paul um, applied in Thessaloniki that made the gospel he preached and the life he lived so effective within such a short time and we've looked at what the effectiveness of the gospel looks like right it it's manifests itself in those three pillars of the Christian life, faith, love, and hope. But now we are seeing how to arrive at those, right? Especially as one, as people who have received the gospel and people who are called to propagate the gospel, how do we arrive at the kind of faith that endures, that is effective? Paul says, Paul tells us his approach when he went to Thessaloniki, he said, our gospel did not come to you in word only but also in power. Now, as far as Paul was concerned, the complete gospel could not be presented without power. Evangelism for Paul was not about speaking convincing words, was not about bringing convincing arguments, intellectually right and sound arguments. But it was much more than that. It was about power there had to be a power element to the gospel for it to be profitable. And the power element was a significant part of what Paul brought to the ground that made the gospel prosper so much in Thessaloniki. So he said our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. Now this rendering, makes it look like we came in word, then we came in power, then we came in the Holy Spirit, then we came in much assurance. So let's look for a different rendering that brings out the sense of this verse better. Let's look at the NIV. It says, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So what I'm trying to bring out is that because their their gospel did not come with word only, it came with power, it produced deep conviction through the Holy Spirit. There was a very practical aspect to their preaching that led these believers or that led their converts to a place of deep conviction. A conviction that was not temporary. A conviction that was not only there while Paul was with them, but a conviction that outlasted even afflictions. But this was not the only thing. Like the power of the Holy Spirit was not the only thing that produced this assurance or deep conviction. There was a third element, right? He says, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. So there was their character, their godliness, their virtue, their godly deeds. These three together was what produced deep assurance in these believers. So they came with word, right? They obviously knew the gospel. And we're going to look at what what that means. They understood the gospel. They understood how to share it. But that was not all. They didn't just share the gospel as mere words. They shared it with conviction. they they, they shared it with much assurance they shared it with power they were not uncertain about what they were saying right they were not unstable about what they were saying they were willing to trust the holy spirit to confirm some of their words with visible signs and that was the second thing that made their gospel effective. And the third thing was that they themselves, their lives, their lives were the example of the gospel. And friends, if if any one of these elements is missing in our own presentation of the gospel, in our own lives, right? In the way we live out the gospel, the simple effect of it is that we will not be able to produce a kind of believer's, that God was able to produce through the ministry of Paul in Thessaloniki. The effect of such a ministry we see in verse 6 is that they became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. So you look at the. You look at the cycle of discipleship, right? That first of all, they received the word in much conviction and assurance. Then they became followers of us and of the Lord. So the way they followed the Lord is by following his example in other people, right? And then thirdly, they themselves became examples. And that's the same pattern that God wants to administer in your life and in my life that we will receive the word and then he will set people in front of us whose example we will follow and if it is true that we have received right and we have followed right God's intention ultimately is that our lives as ordinary as your life looks perhaps as difficult as you think it is that your life will become an example to many in the place where God has planted you okay so I want us to take it one by one all right going back to verse five so Paul says our gospel did not come to you in word only so he said it didn't come to you in word only but it came in word right the gospel has to be proclaimed at some point so my question for us which I would like us to think about is what is the gospel first and Why is the power and the work of the Holy Spirit so necessary in confirming the gospel? It didn't come to you in word only, but it came to you in power. I have many questions for us. What is the gospel? Why is the power of the Holy Spirit necessary in accompanying the gospel? We can start with that one.
1: I think it's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives the gospel, you speak the, I want to say opportunity, but I don't think that's the right word, the capacity to actually change lives, because even from the Bible, Paul planted, Apollos watered, it's always been God that gives increase, it's always been God that can change the heart of man, so it's not by eloquency of speech, or it's always by the Spirit. Okay. So I think that's why the Holy Spirit is the vital for us. So in as much as we speak, but it's not by our own spirit of our power.
0: Okay. Thank you. But what is it about the gospel that makes the demonstration of power or the supply of the power of the Holy Spirit necessary, expedient for any presentation of the gospel that will be effective? You know that if God opens a door for you to preach to your colleagues, right? What are you going to preach to them? That's essentially my question. What you're going to preach to them is the gospel, right? And Paul tells us in Romans chapter one, that the gospel, he's not ashamed of the gospel because in the gospel, there is a certain power, right? So what is the gospel?
1: gospel is the life of god
0: the life of god yeah i
2: think you know it's just it's the good news of jesus that he died for our sins he rose again and he's you know basically triumphed over sin and over the enemy and that he's coming again i think that is what the gospel is the good news
0: okay thank you stephanie Yes. So the gospel is primarily good news. But one thing I wanted to emphasize, which you mentioned, Stephanie, is that um, the the gospel is not the good news about man, right? Or the good news for man, even though it is that, but it's not primarily that. It's not first of all that. The gospel is the good news of God. God has a good news for mankind, right? And that's good news. We see it in the book of Romans chapter 1. Right. Paul calls it the gospel of God because the word gospel means good news. Romans chapter 1, Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures and was the content of this gospel. It was concerning his son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead in these four verses we have the curriculum of the gospel that the gospel is about god that god came down and when he came down he came down in a dual identity right he he took on humanity he took on everything it means to be human he took on the frailty the limitation the weakness of humanity and ultimately he took on the sin of humanity on the cross, on himself. However, despite the fact that he had a lineage according to the flesh, right? That's what He means by he was born of the seed of David. Despite the fact that he was fully human, he also had a divine element. The Bible calls it the spirit of holiness and that it was by that spirit of holiness that he was declared to be the son of God with power what that means is that everything that was present in the life of Jesus that that was if you like above standard humanity was accomplished by the spirit of holiness and the ultimate expression of the spirit of holiness was that it solved man's biggest dilemma which is death and so you find out in your presentation of the gospel um it usually boils down at the end of the day to did jesus christ rise from the dead i mean once you get past the problem of whether he's a fairy tale or he was a true historical figure right which um there is overwhelming credible evidence to show that he's a credible historical figure the strength of the gospel rests in that final part did he rise from the dead And by what means did he rise from the dead? There is nothing that man has been able to do or to invent or to imagine no philosophy that carries any cure for the problem of death. But in the son of God, we see that even though he had humanity, his humanity did not overwhelm him. His humanity did not not overpower him. And eventually when he, when they put him to death, he had something in him that was superior to death. And that is the spirit of holiness. And it's only after we've seen the good news of God that we can then understand why it is good news for man, right? That in Christ, through him, in him, because of him, we can have the same spirit of holiness or Holy Spirit, right? We can have the same divine elements that made him who he was. And we can be restored into the same fellowship he shared with the father. We can begin to know God because of the spirit in us. And our knowledge of God can begin to influence our lives because of the spirit in us. And ultimately, because of that same spirit, our mortal bodies will not remain in the grave. A beautiful hope that the pain the suffering the difficulty of this world has been mastered has been mastered by the spirit of holiness and so everyone who believes in jesus can migrate from a destiny of death into a destiny of life that is the gospel right i mean obviously you can can build a lot of stuff around this you can talk about the cross you can talk about the sinfulness of humanity and how death came into the world you can talk about um like the destiny of humanity and how all of us die and how we need to face our creator the point of our death but at the core of the gospel is that there's a there was a supernatural life that took on humanity that there was a supernatural element that was in human, verse, in human form, and that that supernatural element is the thing that everyone is searching for, is the longing that's in every person's heart, is the, the ultimate source of satisfaction, is the ultimate source of deliverance, is the ultimate source of transformation. So if in the gospel, you and I are called to tell the story of a supernatural element, right? Of a supernatural personality that comes into our lives and begins to shape us after the image of God. The only way to tell that story is that to its full, in its full picture, right? The only way to tell that story to completion is that you need to demonstrate that supernatural power. That's the only way to tell that story. If we reduce the gospel to a purely intellectual presentation right we're sinners right and christ died for us and if we just confess and say these prayers we get saved you have done a good job but if you've tried it which i've done many times you'll find out that a good argument cannot make someone open their hearts to the holy spirit because the gospel is supposed to make people open to the same supernatural element that was at work in Jesus that is also at work in your life and that's why the first and this is where I want you to hear me very clearly because in our context and in our culture we tend to misunderstand or misappropriate the application of power in the New, in the New Testament the first and most potent expression of power in the life of a believer, it's not the power of miracles. It's not the power of falling down. It's not even the power of speaking in tongues. The most potent expression of power in the life of a believer is the power of godliness. I can show you, and maybe I should, but I can show you that every time that the apostles in the New Testament referred to power the power of godliness was at the heart of what they were referring to because at the heart of the gospel is an element called the spirit of holiness so if it is true that i've received the gospel then the the effect of the spirit of holiness is supposed to shine through my life and that's why jesus said that you will receive power after that the holy ghost is come upon you and you will be witnesses unto me. He didn't say witnesses for me, but witnesses unto me. It means that there's a power that will come upon you, and by virtue of that power, the life you live up on account of that power, right? The life you live on account of that power will be a witness to the world. Then The words you speak on account of that power will also be a witness to the world. And then finally, the signs that you do on account of that power will be a witness to the world. So there is the life you live because of the power. There is the words you speak because of the power. And then there is the signs you do because of the power. Let me show you some verses, right? Where Paul himself highlights this issue of power for us to understand what it means, right? So in in Second in Second Timothy, rather, chapter 3, Paul speaks about the end times, right? That we know this. So this is not just an apostolic teaching. This is a prophetic word. We know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come what will be the mark of perilous times? The mark of perilous times will not be the lack of spiritual power per se, but rather the primary mark of the perilous times will be in moral degradation. And he begins to talk about the different levels of moral degradation, right? Lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure. And then in verse five, he says that people will have a form of godliness but deny the power of it. So it means that it is easy to have a form of godliness. And in many ways, if you get born again, if you get saved into any Christian context, it's very easy for you to pick up the form of godliness. But he's saying that the form of godliness is never enough. It is the power of godliness that makes all the difference. The gospel is nothing outside of the power that transforms us to live in a godly way. And the enduring proof of the gospel is not that we have a form. We're able to raise our hands. You know, we're able to sing certain songs. We're able to use certain slang and language. We're able to belong to a community. We're even able to pray and speak in tongues. But the proof is that a certain life will begin to form. That life will become a witness to those around us. That life, nobody can argue with the proof of your life. Nobody can argue with the witness of your life. It's a burning witness. I had the privilege to share the gospel with a Muslim brother over the weekend. You know? And in the midst of everything that we were talking about, they, uh, he could not deny the evidence of my life. He looked at me and said, I know you were not like this 10 years ago. I can I can see. There are many things about this gospel I don't understand. But I can see that the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that you're talking about, I can see that, that your life is it. Yes, this is the primary expression of power. When Paul said to the corinthians right that the kingdom of god is not in word only but it's in power he was talking about visiting the church right in person and that when he visits the church he's not only going to examine the word of the people who were making their boast against him but he's also going to examine their power so of course there's an aspect of that power like we said that has to do with signs, right But what he was speaking about primarily was that he was going to check when he came if the power of godliness was visible upon them. And so that's why in 1 Thessalonians, he tells us that our gospel did not come to you only in word, but you saw it in us. Yes, you saw it in us. And and the fact that we were staking our lives on the gospel That even though it had cost us everything, we were standing firm in our conviction. It led you to a place of deep assurance that what we're saying was true. So that's the first manifestation, right, of power. The second manifestation of power is in the power of the word, right? Because as you live your life, God is going to lead you to declare the word Right, to explain the gospel, if you like, or declare the gospel. Now, the way to declare the gospel is in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. And that is when the problem of sin or compromise or slothfulness becomes an issue in a believer's life because you cannot speak with conviction. You cannot speak with certainty about something that you're compromising about, your words will lack certainty. Even if if they are strong, the Holy Spirit will not have any basis of assurance upon which to mark it on the heart of your hearers that these words are true. And that's why it's important that before we start speaking the gospel, right, we stay with God until the power of the gospel affects our character and with the issue of slothfulness the gospel contains promises yes it contains promises of a promise of deliverance for example from the power of sin it contains the promise of of transformation into the into different levels of the glory of god so if i have been slothful in my work with god and I have not pressed into certain things in God by faith, it's not possible that I will be able to communicate those things, right? The extent of my communication will be limited to my experiences in God. But for Paul, his word was with power. It was with conviction. It was with much assurance. He gave priority to consistency. He gave priority to to discarding slothfulness and to laboring in the grace that God had given him. And every time he stood to speak for God, there was conviction in his words. Whenever it is that he shared the gospel. And the third aspect of power is the signs of power. The signs of power. Whenever it is that Jesus sent out disciples, He never sent them out just to go and and share words, right? In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 10, you will see that there is a very clear pattern of how Jesus sent out, first of all, the 12 disciples in Matthew chapter 10, and then the 70 in Luke chapter 10. You will see that he told them to take nothing for their journey. So he was teaching them the principle of faith, right? Take nothing for your journey. You are going. I want you to be in a posture of heart where you are trusting because that will allow you to be in the right place spiritually for the power of God to walk through you. That was one of the things he told them. Something else he told them is that I want you to be friendly. I want you to have good character. He told them, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. So when they invite you into a house, sit down and eat with them. You know, he didn't tell them to go and knock. And when they open, you tell them the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent or you die. No, he said, when they if they invite you, you you come in. You eat what is set before you. You relate. You connect. That that you're relating and connecting is the first level of your witness. It is it is streaming from you a quality of life. Something the Holy Spirit is already working. Just by you being there. Just by you, not just being there, but being present. You know, for many of us, in the places where God has sent us, we are there, but we are not present. I remember the Holy Spirit has highlighted this to me a lot of times. How, you know, in this age of YouTube and online things, you can be there, but your but your earphones are just plugged the whole time, listening to one thing or the other waiting for every moment to listen to the next thing, so that in the place where God has planted you, you are there, but you are not present. It says, be present. Eat what is set in front of you, because there's an aspect of your character. There's an aspect of your faith, the fact that they can see that you took no script for your journey, that you did not care if you perish on this journey, but that you are trusting, even before you proclaim the kingdom that's already witness sufficient and then the second thing he told them to do was to heal the sick ask them is there is there any sick person around heal the sick in fact for for the first 12 disciples he, he sent he told them raise the dead cleanse the lepers freely you have received freely give and then he told them preach the gospel of the kingdom and tell them that the kingdom of God is at hand, because the gospel is a supernatural element, right? We will have to bring the supernatural element of God's power in order to fully make people realize that something has changed about how God wants to deal with us. And that opens them up to receive the gospel. And maybe the, my next question then for us, if, if you don't have any questions or thoughts on, on what I've said so far is how do we walk in the supernatural power of God, right? We've we've looked a bit at the power of a godly life, right? And I think the core of our Bible study for many weeks has been around this. We've also looked about, very briefly, at the power of assurance that comes when we boldly declare the gospel. We've not looked at it in depth, but there is that power. But I'm concerned tonight with... The power of science. The power of science. What are the channels of this power? Someone wanted to say something.
2: I wanted to say something about this power. Mm-hmm. Because I've been struggling with this thing for quite a while. I've been engaged with several people in the past week and it's been a burden on my heart. I know there was this part of... Um, in ephesians when paul was praying he said that you know when he was praying for the ephesians he said that they may know the exceeding greatness of his part what also believe right Mm -hmm. i i realized and the day okay i'll just i'll just go straight away i spoke to several of my family members and they were emphasizing things about you know this one's a witch that one's a witch witchcraft here and there and everywhere and you know the the power they've got is really you know they've killed this one they've given this one stroke and I mean they were just going on and on and on and I said ah, but we are Christians say yes but they also do this to Christians and and all. and I remember I asked my cousin a question I said do you mean that God does not have power and she went quiet and then I asked you know another family member are you saying that God is not powerful And then they went quiet as well because it just felt like, yeah, we are Christians, but, you know, do we really, is there anything that we can use to prove these people, darkness is forcefully advancing as far as they're concerned. And I'm like, do you think God is sitting down with his hands folded and saying, yes, okay, let him come. And, oh, I remember, yeah, she said, oh, when next you go to Nigeria, when you eat in a restaurant. Make sure you take your bone with you. And I'm like, why would I take my bone, you know, with me? Why won't I just leave my bone in the plate so they can discard it? She's like, no, your bone is connected to your destiny. They are not taking bones to, to affect you, you know, to steal people's glory or something like that. I'm like, wow, is it this bad? And I said, mom, I'm not going to take my, I'm not going to take my bone with me. I'm not going to pull my bone inside my bag because I'm afraid of, she said, I've, I've told you, you're going to, you know, they can kill you. They can do this. They can do that. And I said, and do you think I serve a God that's so powerful? And she just went quiet. That night I couldn't sleep, but that prayer dropped into my heart. And that was the whole prayer I could pray. Lord, reveal to me the exceeding greatness of your power towards us that believe, because there's this this belief in christianity that in in a lot of in the body of christ that the enemy is so powerful but god is just watching he's not doing anything and i think there's a part of psalms that also said something like um something about judgment being when judgment is delayed i see the weekend go because the judgment has been delayed you know and i, I don't know how you know the body of Christ can get to understand that indeed God is dependable and he still deserves our trust. And I remember that day I told my mom, mom, even if it means I die, I will die trusting. And she's like, I don't want you to die. That's why I'm saying We should take your bone. She was still enforcing (laughs) her. (laughs) I'm just giving you an example that this is a very, very critical aspect of, you know, the Christian world. They believed in, you know, mixing with that leaf with water and salt in order to get favor rather than, you know, we tell, believing in the prayer that they've prayed for favor. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, yeah, I'm glad that you're raising it because I feel like it's a burden on the heart of God, that, you know, for the season as well. Okay.
0: Thank you for your comment, Stephanie. You know, it's not that people do not believe that God is not powerful, right? I think anybody who believes in God by definition believes that he's powerful, because if you believe in God, it means you attest to the fact that there's a higher power, right? That's stronger than you. It's more, like you said, you know, people don't understand the conversion factor of God's power, right? Um, they, they see that God's power is not necessarily always automatically available, right? But then they don't understand its conversion factor in their own lives. how, Can I walk in the power of God in my own life? And so because of that, um, as men, we often uh, resort to the easier option, right? Which is trying to make hay for ourselves and trying to, you know, um, put together the things that we can see and touch and feel a sense of security just because we're a little bit in control. To an extent, a little bit of that is part of witchcraft or rather part of our natural tendency for control, we are more likely or more inclined to trust things that we make with our own hands, things that we have control over. You know, you can take your bone or you can mix something with something and then you know that you did something, right? We are much more inclined to trust in those things than we are to trust in the absolute power of God. But it's also important to know, friends, that witchcraft cannot kill just anybody right we don't have time for this topic uh, where we're going to look at it but witchcraft can kill people there's no doubt about it witchcraft um, can do many things necromancy and all the forms of demonic power can do many things to hurt humans and humanity but it does not inherently have the authority it does not inherently have the authority maybe that's a better word it has the power but it does not inherently have the authority to kill anyone it wishes or to hurt anyone it wishes if it had <laughs> it had if it was the case that witchcraft can kill anybody can harm anybody can take the destiny of anybody, then many of us will not be alive today in fact, um our African people which who are quite well-versed in this topic would have been successful in most human endeavor. You know, if we're going to play World Cup, we just use witchcraft (laughs) and we beat all the other teams and we win the World Cup, for example. But anybody who observes very closely will find that witchcraft is very heavily limited and there is a high price, a very high price, a very, very high price for even that limited power that witchcraft has. But this is not our topic tonight. So let's not press it too much. Um, Rather, let's let's return to the main emphasis, right? So there is power in the gospel. This power needs to be demonstrated if we're going to declare the gospel. So in Stephanie's case, if you say you're born again in a family, that is infested with witchcraft and the signs of witchcraft are are dominant in that family or in that space and they are are easily discernible by even someone who doesn't have the gift of discernment of spirits, right? Like you see that people die strangely and at a young age or you see that strange illnesses and diseases come upon people or you see that strange afflictions come upon people, strange poverty, strange lack, strange delays come upon people. You see, the testimony of your life, right, as one who has come to Christ, is ought to be the power to eliminate you from that cycle. Right? Whatever it is that that, that is represented by that cycle in your space, in your family, there is a power in God that can eliminate you from it or that can take you out of that cycle and that power is not automatic right the same way that the grace of god is not automatic right we are invited to come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain grace so even though there's abundance of grace available those who will reign in life are those who learn to receive it those who make a shadow for receiving abundance of grace those who build into their lives a culture of receiving abundance of grace so it is with the power of god so i just want to quickly highlight to us at least three channels are found in scripture of the power of god and when i say the power of god i mean the visibly manifested power of god the power of god has manifested in casting out demons in breaking chains right in healing in miracles in signs in wonders and um, by the way, just to ask, because I'm curious, uh, um, has how many of us have experienced in your life one or more of these things, right, that I just mentioned? Casting out demons, breaking of chains, healing, miracles. If you've experienced it in your life, Okay, we have Terence, we have Mary.
2: I think God's power to heal us or other people, yes God's through power. us
0: or... through you. let's put it like this through you or even for you, maybe not through you, but for you, right?
2: Yes, I have experience
0: casting out devils, healing mm, no. healing deliverance from something, yes. Uh, so if you've experienced the power of God, right, it's a good thing because it shows you that all we're about to talk about is not rocket science, right? Like it's not a privilege that is restricted to special believers. All of us, in fact, if you if you give your life to Christ and you successfully maintain that decision, there's a very good chance that the only reason why it happened is because the power of God was at, has been at work. In your life it's now a question of how do we convert that power into a more tangible more deliberate expression the first and most important channel friends of the power of god is the will of god everywhere that you find the will of god you will find that the power of god will go in the direction of the will of god that's why in those scriptures where paul prays for the church he doesn't necessarily begin by praying for power, right? Rather, he begins by praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, because it turns out that in the in this in the spirit, you cannot address, you cannot deal with anything you cannot identify, right? The spirit realm is not chaotic. It's not a realm of hit and miss, you know. I don't know if you've prayed prayers like every every power in my father's household. Now, of course, there are many times that, or there are sometimes that the Holy Spirit could lead you to, to, to throw such a blanket statement in prayer. But when it comes to deliberate warfare or deliberate manifestations of God's power, a lot of specificity is needed. Even Jesus, in his operations of God's power, he used a lot of specificity, right? When he called Lazarus out of the grave, he was very careful to mention his name. <laughs> Lazarus is you I'm calling comfort. Because if if he didn't apply that specificity, many many more people would have comfort. Because I hope you know that it is the voice of Jesus on the last day that will raise the dead. So he had to be very clear about who he was calling for right? Lazarus comfort. Whenever it is that Jesus, when Jesus met the man, right? At the pool of Bethesda, right? Who had been sick for over 37 years. He asked him, what would you have me do for you? Because as I'm standing here, there are so many things I can do for you. And there are so many things you might want me to do for you. But there's only one thing that God wants to do for you, actually. So what would you have me do for you? In fact, Part of that story is that Jesus went to a pool, right? That the tale of the day was that occasionally an angel came and stared the waters and whoever jumped into the waters first was healed. He went to that pool and he didn't heal everybody. He went to the pool, went to one man, healed one man and left the power of God moves in the direction of the will of God. In the, in the book of Matthew chapter 10, right when, when we see Jesus sending out the 12 disciples right, and telling them, cast out devils, raise the dead. Do you realize that even in that what looked like free check, right, a blanket instruction, he was very specific about where this power was supposed to be manifested. He was like, don't go into the lands of the Gentiles. Don't go into Samaria rather go into the lost sheep of israel so that there, there was a divine direction and this is what you and i must understand that the thing when when the bible says in john chapter one right that as many as received him to them he gave the right the authority to become the sons of god we must understand what that means one of the things it doesn't mean is that we have the right to do anything we want Certainly not in the spiritual, right? But one of the things it means is that we have the right to enforce the will of God on earth. And if we have the right to enforce the will of God on earth, then it means that we just need to discern it. So you see that the will of God is primal, is primary for prayer. It is primary for faith. It is also primary for power and that's why even in the manifestations of the gifts of the spirit you know there are some gifts of power they're what we call the power gift even in the manifestation of the power gift you'll find out that those gifts are often preceded by the gift of revelation right it is actually a violation of kingdom pattern to exercise power outside of the will of god you know that as a christian for example somebody can hurt you right and then you now use your authority as a christian to place a curse on the person (laughs) right and and it's not the holy spirit that moved you to place the curse it's possible that because the curse has a reason for existing and because you have authority as a child of god that the curse can actually stay but it's also possible that in doing that, you violated the, the spirit that you're of. Right? Anyway, that's a digression. My main point is that the power of God travels in the direction of the will of God. And friends, it's an invitation for us to be yielded, like I was saying earlier. The people who discern the will of God are the people who are most yielded. If you see, you read that, oh, the power of God moved through a child. It's not because the child is special. It's because the child was healed. If something is the will of God, if God wants to raise the dead, right? If God wants to heal the sick, all God needs to do is to find someone who is willing to believe him enough that this is what he actually wants to do. Yes, that's all God needs to find. Someone who, as a son of God, has the authority to do it and believes enough that God wants to do it. It is not the person, like we said last week, it's not so much the person's believing that made it happen. (laughs) But the person's believing was necessary for it to happen. Right? It's not so much the person's believing. So you cannot say, I believe also, let me go and do it. The person's believing came to back up the revelation of the will of God. So so you and I, as we seek to manifest the power of God, we must pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It doesn't matter what witchcraft power is after you or what shadow is cast after you, if only you can see it. And many ways, many times, the way God allows you to see it is that he brings you into an atmosphere where other people can see it on your behalf or where you can see it for yourself. But if only God can allow you to see it, Then you are halfway through walking away from his influence. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Every time Paul prayed for the church, the anchor of his prayer was that they will be grounded in the will of God. Because the will of God is the first channel of the power of God. So, in your presentation of the gospel, right, in our presentation of the gospel, we need to learn what is the will of God? Who is God healing? Who is God delivering? Who is God talking to? If if we can be yielded enough to discern the will of God, then we are halfway through to manifesting God's power. Okay? Now, that's the first channel. However, I found out that in many cases, the channel of discerning the will of God is not enough for manifesting the power of God. Right? Right? The second element or the second channel of manifesting the power of God is the knowledge of God. is the epignosis of God. You know, you can pick up a judgment in the spirit, but you lack the expertise. Let's put it like this. You lack the experience. You lack the, the capacity, right? To execute the judgment you picked up. So that even though you descend, okay, there's a demon here, you know, <laughs> you find out that <laughs> you find out that you are you are spending so much energy, but nothing's happening. It's not as though you've not been able to discern that something is here, or you are just not able to cast it out right or to deal with it properly um i mean <laughs> the most funny and I guess easy to understand example of this is the Seven sons of Skiva, right they knew okay, there's a demon at work here. The fact that they knew it does not, didn't mean that they were able to do something about it. In fact, <laughs> instead, rather, the demon did something about them. You know, But also, you could also make the case that it was not clear that they were led by God, right? Which is why we said that being led by the Spirit of God is much more important than anything that we feel that we have the natural capacity to do. Discerning the will of God. But the second part to manifesting God's power is the knowledge of God. When I say the knowledge of God, I do not mean that you know about God. you know the things of God. I do not mean any kind of head or knowledge in fact, in fact, you cannot know God intellectually in the true sense of knowing God. If anybody knows God, it's because of a revelation now you can you can know about God intellectually or you cannot know god god the 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 knowledge of god is not a knowledge that is fully accessible to the intellect the intellect can only grapple in darkness at something it senses and that's why in the in the first century and the centuries before there was a lot of idol worship right because people perceived that okay there is a god but because they didn't know what he was exactly like they couldn't relate to him they had to make you know idols right images in the likeness of god in order to be able to worship him the only way to know god is that you walk with him you walk with god you relate to god so that if you are a christian but you don't have a record of obeying god it's not that you're not a christian it's just that you're not going to know him and unfortunately. There are going to be situations that will come up in your life that will need a knowledge of God for you to be able to handle them, right? And if you don't have that knowledge of God, you will not be able to handle them. If we look at, if we think about it in the natural intellectual space, right? When you say you know something, let's say, go that you you like you work in a factory, right? Let's say you say that you know how to operate a machine. What do we mean by that? What we mean is that the knowledge is part of you. There was something that you did at some point to acquire the knowledge, right? Maybe you did a training, you read a book, or you watched a video or whatever. But the point, when you arrive at the point where you say you know you know how to operate this machine, it's a knowledge that is with you, Right? It's a knowledge that's part of you. That's, That's the same way it is with the knowledge of God, right? That there are times when God will take you through trainings, through instructions. The purpose of those instructions is not necessarily that something will happen, but it is so that you can know God. So that in the day of battle, in the day of trouble, or in the day when the demand is made to manifest the power of God, you can bring to bear what you know about God. So that's why um, Jesus, when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he informed Peter and he, and those that were with him, the disciples, and he told them, pray that you do not enter into temptation. That this prayer you're about to pray tonight, I know that your flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing. If you can pray it, you will not enter into temptation. Now, we know that Peter didn't manage to pray that night. And he fell asleep and within 24 hours, he denied Jesus three times. Jesus was essentially saying that if you can just obey me and go beyond this tiredness and pray, you're going to experience something about God that will help you survive the next 24 hours without breaking your conviction. So you see that the knowledge of God cannot just be exposed to the natural man just because the natural man desires it, we'll have to walk with God. We'll have to walk with God. Second Peter chapter... Sorry that we're a bit over time, but I think it's important for us to look at this. Second Peter chapter 1... Grace, verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, his divine power. What does all things mean to you? Is it a breakthrough? Is it a healing? Is it a restoration? Right? The Bible says his divine power. His divine power has given you and I access to all things nothing is excluded from this list all things that pertain to life and godliness and how do we break into that power It says is by the knowledge of him by the revealed knowledge of him so yes this is how we walk in power that through a track record of obedience of walking with god we gain spiritual knowledge of enduring difficult seasons of continuing with God even when it didn't make sense, of keeping God's commandments, of keeping to God's instructions, the reward for such seasons is that we get to know God. Yes. And friends, I want to encourage you that every now and again, the Holy Spirit will come and invite you to a journey. That journey might be a journey of prayer, right? He might set a certain prayer schedule for you and invite you to maintain that schedule. It might be a journey of fasting. It might set a certain fasting schedule. And friends, fasting doesn't have to be just food. I need to say this because I, I realize that not everybody can fast food. I pray and I hope that you can fast food. And if you can fast food, please fast food. But if you can't, fasting is not just about food. Fasting is about humbling the flesh so that you can press into more of God. And there are many things in our lives as 21st century people that we can do away with that can humble our flesh for a season so that we can press into God. So let your inability to fast food not become um, a reason why the enemy keeps you from responding to an invitation from the Holy Spirit to fast to God. The Holy Spirit can set before you a fasting journey. The Holy Spirit can set before you a sleeping journey. That's it. For the next few days, just don't sleep before 11 or... Make sure you sleep before seven so you can wake up at this time. Those those journeys may not immediately produce something, right? Or they may, depending on what the Holy Spirit is inviting you to do. But those journeys are for the faithful heart. The outcome of those journeys is that you know God and that you'll find that you'll be able to manifest the power of God. God like you may have heard, does not give us anything that we do not need him to operate. And the power of God is such a powerful and boisterous resource in the kingdom of God that God uses our journey into power as a training process for us. So Peter says that his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and we press into that power through the lived and experienced knowledge of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in you. Now, this is the third channel of power I found. The first channel of power is the will of God. The second channel of power is the experiential knowledge of god the third channel of power is the measure of the holy spirit that is in your vessel god is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power according to the measure almost like a saying that the, the 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 level of possibilities that you might find in God right is sometimes tied to the measure the quantity of his power that has filled your vessel that inside of you is the potential to knock down things to knock down sickness to knock down demonic attack but many of those things will happen according to the measure of the power that is at work in you know? That's why he admonishes them in the subsequent chapters of Ephesians. And he says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Because if you're filled with the Spirit, it's inevitable that you'll be able to knock certain things down. Yes, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be saturated with God. Let God fill your thoughts. Let God feel your heart. Let God feel your mind. You know, this is a necessary aspect of power that you must have if you're actually going to preach the gospel. This feeling part, right? Because if you're going to preach the gospel, there are many things you can do, right? You can press into God ahead of time and know, okay, this is the will of God. This is how God wants to do this. It And then you go there and you begin to announce what God wants to do. And if you know God enough, you can bring on display the things that you have received. Well, you see, when you're going to stand in a place, right, that is infested with witchcraft or infested with the hatred of men. Or you are, even if it's not infested with anything, you are going to stand to, to, to speak for God in front of men. And your agenda is not to to receive an applause when you finish. Your agenda is to ensure that you really speak for God. The recommendation is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Begin to identify the things in your life that suck out power, that leak out spiritual energy, the things that leave you disinterested, the things that leave you disconnected, the things that leave you disoriented and begin to cut down those things, cut and cut them off slowly from your life. That's what it means by don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. There is a measure of power that can come into your vessel that can cause things to change. Yes, Jesus himself said for his disciples when they could not cast out the devil, Said so this kind does not go out except by fasting and prayer. When you have emptied your body and you have filled your spirit, there is an energy from you that can go out and that can cut off certain things. Now, friends, I must say that we need to be careful because in our time and in our generation, many people jump straight to this last aspect. And desire so much this last aspect that their whole life is lived around this last aspect. But you see, hmm. like I said when I started, the primary power that a believer needs, right, is the power of godliness. That's the primary power. If you have that power, right, the same measure of power that makes you godly, it will rub off on you and become a defense for you that even without doing something extra, many things will flee from you. Not everything, but many things will flee from you. But that's the core power of the gospel. That's the power investment, right? That does not fail. That's the power investment that does not lead you down the wrong path eventually. That's the power investment that keeps you humble that keeps you radiant, that keeps you joyful, that keeps you full, that makes you a bright witness of the gospel. The power investment of the spirit of holiness, the power investment of godliness. But when it is time to speak for God, when it is time to stand against wickedness, you will need to be saturated
1: and endued with power from heaven.